I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, and welcome to part two of my conversation with the fantastic Laura Linney. No further ado, here's the rest of our chat in her dressing room this summer. Ladies and gentlemen of the Stage Door Johnny Company, this is your Act 2 Beginner's Call. Ms. Linney and Mr. Cake to the stage, please. Act 2 Beginner's. Okay, so I've got a bunch of different things to ask you, and maybe you should choose which ones you want to answer. Okay. Okay, so here's the thing. I would love to hear about Mrs. Claus. Which one? I've played Mrs. Claus twice. Oh my goodness, you've doubled. Oh yes, I've doubled. Well, well, tell me about both of them. Can you? Yes, of course. Well, so you don't I get to choose. A, Let's just do I this. I love Santa. I am a Santa Claus devotee. Santa, in many ways, is the best male relationship I've had in my life. <laughs> he has been there from the beginning. He is consistent. He never died. He shows he... up when he says he's going to show up. The, the rules of the relationship are very clear. Sure. Boundaries. I show up. Very clear. <laughs> he's good to the environment. He's kind to animals. He's fair with his workers. I adore Santa. He seems like a fun guy. I love Santa. I've always loved Santa. I am close to Santa. And I'm also picky about how Santa is represented. I'm very judgmental about, like, good Santa, bad Santa. When I was in third grade, second grade... So, sort of nine? Yeah, about probably my son's age. Yeah, uh, yeah it's so funny. I was already, like, theater brat right. at that point. Loved it. Right. And Ms. Magazine, the first issue of Ms. Magazine, had just come out. So, it's whatever year that was. Mm. So, we did at school for the school play... We devised, I don't remember if it was my idea or collective, I don't, I don't remember, but, you know, Mrs. Claus takes over. Oh, it was a devised piece? It was a devised piece. We came up with it ourselves. Mrs. Claus Mrs. takes over. Yes, Santa has a cold and cannot deliver. So, Mrs. Claus, who's normally just in the background making the food. Sure. Fattening him up. Right. Being kind. Yeah. In a sort of traditional female role. Takes over. Right, she and does. And she does well. Of course. And she I does. was Mrs. Claus. And did you yep. feel something in your acting career up to that point, which is probably extensive <laughs> by nine, did yes, you feel was. something shift a little bit? Was that was that Well, it was my first lead. So I knew I could carry a story from oh, beginning to end. Huge. <laughs> huge. Yeah, but I remember it really well. Does she return to her traditional female role at the end of the I, piece? I think I think she might, but with a new renewed yeah, identity yeah, and partners. sense of respect from everyone oh, at the North Pole. God. And ironically, Sydney Solomon, who was one of my best friends at the time, who played Cindy, like the equivalent of Cindy Lou Who right. in The Grinch, you know, when Cindy Lou Who comes sure. out and discovers The Grinch. Yeah. So we had a Cindy Lou Who sort of preacher discover Mrs. Claus. Right. Sydney Solomon is coming to see this play next week. Oh, we are still wow. friends. How extraordinary. The power of Santa. And what was the second time? The second time I did a Mrs. Claus for Stephen Colbert, 
with Brian Cranston. Did you? Brian Cranston was was Mr. Claus and I was Mr. Claus. Oh, yeah. that must have yeah, been it a was fun. sparky <laughs> couple yeah. of clauses. So the fact that I'm in two Christmas movies, yeah. it makes me just die. Oh, so God, beside myself. Beside myself. Oh, you are Christmas. Yeah. Oh, that's huge. Ho, ho, ho. Okay, so that was my first. So, so, yes. so Mrs. Claus felt very big because yes. also you were devising the piece, and that must have felt yes, really we were fulfilling. Cre- yes, you know it was the late seventies, and it was you know female empowerment. And, yes, and yeah, it was. It was. Really is it fun. too fanciful to think that it combined both of your parental influences? Is that is that too glib to say? No, no female empowerment because she was a single yes, mom, absolutely, and yes, doing I, this extraordinarily yes, high pressure job. That's right. And she was doing yeah. it. She was yeah. coming through yeah. all the time. That must yeah. have been so I extraordinarily inspiring. I remember when I saw Arcadia at the National, I was in wreck because it combined the two great interests that my parents both had in mm. one life. So my father had a real affinity for Byron and wrote a play about Lord Byron. Right. And my mother was a gardener. So I sat and I watched that thing and I was just undone. I was just undone. Because my parents were, I think I saw my parents together in the same room maybe twice in my life. So the things that represented the two of them were uh, coexisting beautifully in yeah. one thing was really powerful. Oh. And that's, you know, that's what the theater does. That's amazing. You know, the theater does those things. It, it reaches, it can reach so deep in you. What a beautiful play. Yeah. Did you tell Stoppard that? No, no. So anyway, that was a tangent. <laughs> yeah, but but I loved, oh, I don't know, I love the idea that you came up with this play yeah. with you, the group yeah. of you, yeah. and then your yeah. mum's influence, by the way, uh, you told this extraordinary story about, about Richard Rogers, who yes. she attended. She nursed yes. him. Yes, yes. And going up when you were quite young yes. to... very young. I went to meet him. And Mary Rogers Gettle was there as well. Right. And who I actually ended up serving on the board at Juilliard with. Oh, so I got to know amazing. her as an adult as well. And I know Richard Rogers' grandson, who's, you know, Adam yes. Gettle. Who sure. I know as He's well. So there's connections sure, all the over Atlantic. the place. But yeah, I do. I, I remember that. And I, more than anything, I just, it goes to, you know, talks about the power of when you're vulnerable and ill, when someone helps you, you know, the fact that he would take an interest in my mother who was a struggling single parent, and then want to meet her daughter to take the time. You described how he hugged her when they parted. Mm -hmm. And it struck me so forcibly. Your father's world must have seemed difficult, I know, and Mm -hmm. extremely complicated, but incredibly glamorous. And with all the pull of the theater. It actually wasn't glamorous. Oh, okay. It was... Struggling, rough and difficult. It was rough and, and, and struggling. Perhaps in its yeah, relationship temperamental. To, uh, okay, temperamental okay. and and then also transcendent, like moments of just right. like spiritual transcendence. Right, that was just <gasps> in awe. Uh, then you're in those moments of just awe. Wow. So, but it was rough. He did not have an easy time. Right. He was not comfortable all the time. Right. He struggled a lot. And then my mother's, who also struggled, mm. but in a very very different way. Mm. But to be hugged by this great artist who just happened to be significant in this other part of the the world, hugged in a way, you described it, as though a person can only do when they owe whoever they're hugging their lives. It's gratitude. (laughs) Right. I just thought that must have, knowing who you are as an artist a little bit, it must, little moments like that must have a profound effect on how deep, what you want to honor when you're creating these fictions, the truth of what you want to honor. 
just seemed to spring out to me in that in mm. that little that little snapshot. Okay, next question. I mm-hmm. wanted to ask you about Juilliard, which was obviously yes. such an incredible influence on you. And by the way, Jeffrey Horowitz, my what's happening here? Those are all my teachers. Are they really? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, Laura's showing me pictures, beautiful pictures too, black and white pictures of. Um, these were all your teachers when you were a student? Faculty at Juilliard, yeah. Wow. Other than Jim Houghton, who was like my brother. Oh, Jim. Yeah. The so, late, yeah. great Jim Houghton. Mm-hmm. Used to run Signature Theater. The, the most beloved man yeah. in, in And he and my father American were theater. very close. Were they? He was an adopted son to my dad. Oh, really? So I've known Jim. My oh. father was the first playwright at Signature. Jim came up with the idea oh. while working with my father on a play. Wow. And brought the idea to my dad. So my dad, my father was the first season. He was gosh, the founding director. Gosh, what an incredible bond you must feel. Mm-hmm. And I know you've said, you know, you've had extraordinary opportunities in your professional life, but actually getting into Juilliard after you'd been an undergraduate at Brown and wanting very much to go back and train in this incredibly prestigious drama school, for anyone who doesn't know it, the sort of... Um, I don't know, the sort of equivalent of RADA in the UK, uh, in New York, felt very, very important and very seminal for you. And now you mentor the fourth-year students. I try to, yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm a, and I'm also on the board. Yeah. I'm on the board. So. And you just gave the commencement address. <laughs> and I know this because my boss, Jeffrey Horowitz, at, at oh. Theatre for a New Audience, his yeah. son just graduated. Oh, you're Jake kidding. Horowitz in that oh. class. And he wanted oh, me to tell oh. you that what you said in that commencement address had a profound effect on him oh, and I'm on so Jake. Glad. They, oh, he thought so, it was the I'm most so exquisite glad. speech. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm really. so glad. Now, you take them, I read, you take yes. them out individually well it depends i would love to say that i do that every year okay. it depends upon my schedule it depends on when Obviously. i'm available so if i'm you know if i have the time what i would ideally like to do right is take them out each individually right. Right. and have a coffee right. a lunch and be like how are you yeah <laughs> individually you? because it's hard for them to open up about stuff yes in front they of can people. ask questions in a way that they might not right. in front of their peers i'd like to be a fourth year juilliard student we're going out for some lunch. Can I ask you questions that yes, I, if I can. was a fourth year asking yes. for a friend, yes. the fourth year Juilliard student in yes. me, which lives very strongly, yes, good. If I could ever have so, got in, so does mine. Good. So the first question I want to ask you as a fourth year Juilliard yeah. student on this intimate lunch that we're having yeah. is, can I have the fillet? No. Um, is um, you can order anything God, you want. This is amazing. <laughs> Lily is incredible. What you a mentor. Can order anything you want. Um, how do you? deal with being judged publicly mm. over a lifetime mm. yeah asking for a friend do you mean by by critics or by i mean by the job i guess by the job by the we job do and the job yeah. i fourth year yes. student at juilliard i'm hoping yes. to do right frequently. well a it's inherent it's built in it's part of the contract it's going to happen right also it is never anyone's job to tell you how to feel about your own work right that is your sacred pact between you and your work. And you're going to know. <laughs> right. You're going to know when you deserve to feel proud of something or good about something. And you're going to know when it doesn't work. And then there's the scale of it just doesn't work or God, I'm really bad. Mm. This is partly like really my fault. Like I've participated in this being not good. And then it's like, then what do you do with it? 
So there you have it. And I would much, I say this to a lot of students who, who really struggle when they first get out. I would far rather them struggle at first than have everything handed on a plate to them. Uh. Because then what you learn is grit. And to have everything handed to you right away, uh, I don't trust that completely. And sometimes it works out really well for people. But better to have survival skills Mm. and learn how to deal with the time and learn how to have a life that is meaningful and artistically fulfilled and then also learn how to have a life. Mm. Like, do you know how to do your laundry? No. No. Do you know how to bake a chicken? Definitely not. Do you know how to feed yourself? Uh, Do you know how to organize your day? You know, they're all those basic things. Right. And also because you've been in drama school for four years, there's not a minute. Right. You've had no time to develop any skills outside of what's happening in that building. You're behind. You know, taking care of yourself, taking independence in the world. Yeah. And, you know, it is not a business that encourages self-care, you know, and that's a skill. Right. That's a skill. But getting back to the criticism, you sort of have to own that and realize, like, it's going to hurt. Yeah. You're a human being. Right. So how do you protect yourself? And who do you listen to? It's not someone's job to tell you how to feel about your own work. That's a sacred pact between you and your work. And do you always think you're right? About how you feel? No. About yourself? I, I think there's a sliver of truth in it. It can be engrandized. <laughs> right. <laughs> particularly on the bad, on the, I can really take myself down. Yeah. But I think like anything else, that's a skill that you, that you develop. But I've been overpraised for things that were really not that good. <laughs> I know that. And I've been knocked for things that, you know what? Not so bad. Not so bad. And you knew that instinctively. Yeah. And that's all we have, right? To yeah. carry from job to job, that's place right. to place, director to director. That's right. Year to and, year. you know, it's a... Just us. It, you know, some people live with a... It's a, you know, life is short. Life is also long. And I think you have to take a long view. You know, you have to take a long view. I love that. You know, that's it's, great. It's almost impossible to do when you're starting yeah. out and you're a young person. Yeah. But... You have to give yourself a lane. Yeah. My second question is a fourth-year Juilliard Mm -hmm. student. Yes. Which is also me, I guess, asking you, as Johnny Cake, is how do you deal with fear? Oh, yeah. How is your fear, by the way, these days? It goes up and down. Does it? Yeah. I mean, I had a a horrific case of stage fright when I was at Juilliard between my third and fourth year. I mean, I was really, I was incapacitated. How did it manifest? Well, I, I was playing Ellie in Heartbreak House. Oh God. I was really bad. It's going to do it. I was so bad. I was so bad. And for the first time in my life, I was on stage and did not want to be there. Oh man. I mean, nothing felt right. Nothing. I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. I couldn't, I just, I hated everything about it, and I would come off stage. I would just burst into tears. I mean, it was just—it was a real crisis. Right. And but you could get on the next night. It didn't. Well, make it was you... just school, so it was you know five or six performances or something. So right. I could get through those. Those. I was just ashamed, just deep shame, <laughs> and I was going to drop out of school. Oh wow! And I went to our. Uh, Acting teacher at the time, John Sticks, whose picture is right here. Hey, John Sticks. John Sticks took me aside because I went and spoke to Michael Langham, who was the head of our school, about leaving. And I, I had this idea that I was going to go join the Peace Corps. <laughs> but I was serious about it. It wasn't like yeah, I wasn't yeah. joking. And John Sticks said, come here, come here, come here. 
He took me down to the bowels of Juilliard to an office that I didn't even know existed. He sat me down and she goes, oh, I hear you're, you're going to drop out. You're going to drop out? And I was like, well, John, I think it's, I think I said, he goes, this is where you fail. He's like, you're supposed to fail here. You're supposed to fail. So this is good. God, I wish I'd had this, this trauma school good. experience. And what that has taught me, and in various degrees, it's something that has repeated itself over time. Maybe not to that degree, but I always do dip into that same feeling of Ellie and Heartbreak House when I'm working on anything. Mm. There's always a moment where you have to sit in discomfort and not be scared of it and realize that you're growing, that things are not coordinated. Mm. You're uncoordinated. That's all. You're just uncoordinated. It doesn't mean you don't have the skill. It's just that the execution of it is an instant. And maybe your brain and your spirit and your body and your actor brain are not working together. They're working in opposite directions. Mm-hmm. So you feel awful and you feel like you have a third arm and a, you know, another eye and your ear is on top of your nose and you just, you know, you have one leg that's half the size of the other. I mean, you just feel just, you know, all discombobulated. But if you sit in the discomfort and keep gently working, it will work out. The knot will untangle. It's like, we, it's what I call week three. Yeah, week three. Week three in rehearsal. <laughs> always, always. Always? Horrifying. What if it isn't like that? Does it ever not, no, is always, it ever not horrifying? No, I've always, I, week three, I hate week okay. three. And I always get to that point and I panic. Because you've got to a point to explain week three. Mm. Week one is sort of introducing yourself to the thing. Yay. Week two, actually, I'm getting rather good. This is all working out. Right. Week three, there's a level of familiarity with yeah. the thing. Usually you're off book by week three. Right. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, you're discovering all the crevasses, all the sheer drops, the cliffs, the sense of being lost suddenly. Yeah. It's like you have to go through an obstacle course blind. <laughs> like blindfolded right like you you bump into things right. you fall over you don't know where you are it's so disorienting <sighs> and so upsetting and so equalizing in many ways huh. but i always get to that point and i always panic no matter how many times i've done it. but what has helped is that i can recognize it now and i'd be like okay laura it's week three calm down let it be where it is right sit in the discomfort and then slowly the things will shed. Yeah. The stuff that feels shitty will, will right, go away, right. hopefully. Sometimes it doesn't, and then you have to deal with that. Yes. But most of the time, if you keep doing the work and you're with good people and it's all sound, it will grow into what it's supposed to. But it's there's so much about learning how to sit in discomfort, which is so valuable. Yeah. And don't buck out. Don't buck out. Stay with it like gentle, gentle. Hold the hand mm. of the material, like, mm. you know, let the relationship between you and what you're doing sort of connect and, and solidify. Yeah. That's brilliant. Maybe not solidify is the wrong word because you want it to be sort of, you know. Yeah, but just, just allow it to gently yeah. form back into yes. the form and it's, it's going to become. it's growing and yeah. you don't know where it's going. So, yeah, time, you know, as you said, the time, great secret time, weapon time, of the theater. Time, time. And, it's, and it is a process. Do you remember what it was like to get back on stage the time after the next time after your stage fright experience yeah. at Julia? Oh, oh, after that, yeah. yeah. Well, what I did was I went to – so the next year, we went into rep. There were four shows in rep. And we were each cast in two of the shows. And I went to Michael Langham, and I said, Michael, I said, I know you know I've been going through this. I'm like, I just have to be on stage. I'm terrified. Let me move furniture. Like, I don't need a speaking part in all of it. 
but may I be stage crew? Can I be the person who runs on and like picks up the yeah. the, the chair and then says, hey, nani, nani, no, and, and leaves, <laughs> you know, which is basically what I did. So I knew that I just had to keep putting myself yes. out there. So that helped. That helped. And then it was, it was just time. And then also our class went to, we studied abroad. We went to Russia for three weeks. My which God. was unbelievable. An unbelievable. Oh, this sounds amazing. Life-saving, life-changing experience. To, to, to the Mars Theater? We went to the Mahat, we went to the Moscow Art Theater. Moscow Art. <sighs> Brian Cox created this program. Brian Cox? Brian Cox. Did he really? Yes, he did. For, it was originally just for British students. There were two from each of the schools that were going to go. And then my entire class from Juilliard uh, went. We were the only ones who were able to do this. Somehow, the gods like gave us this unbelievable gift. And it came at the right time for me. Because I was taken out of an environment, put somewhere where I had nothing to identify with, or I was totally raw and new. Mm. And there was something about what Sasha Kalyagin, who was our teacher, our master teacher, it wasn't that he was saying things that all of these Juilliard faculty had not said to me a million times. I just heard it. I heard it in a different way. Mm. And the penny dropped. And there was a specific, there was a moment, and I remember literally my brain, my actor brain, sort of rewired. He asked a question. He asked a question about Uncle Vanya. And it was, what do all of these people want from the professor? What do they want? I all of a sudden, I was like, they all, in their various ways, want to be taken care of. They want him to take care of them. And that not only unlocked and that part of Uncle Vanya, but something bigger in your connection I, I, to... I, it opened like a hallway door just uh, opened, and I could see through the play. Yeah. And I could see the spine of the play and what all of those people were so hungry. And he turned to me and went, Duh. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I was so stunned. It was the first theatrical insight that I had had. There's this interesting, wild process where you become an actor. You know, where you're a student for a long time. Mm. And then you actually become an actor. Mm. And there are moments that are, that are the stepping stones to that happening. And that was one of them. That was really one of them for me. And that led to working with Eve Shapiro who directed Top Girls, and that was another big moment for me. Oh, really? Was that production at school. You know, still a student, Yeah. but something was happening. Who did you play? Uh, Joyce. Great. And Isabella Bird. Amazing. I adored. So there was something that happened to me during that. Yeah. In connection with my other fellow students from Group 19 and where I was. But if I had not gone through... The heartbreak house, literally heartbreak house, <laughs> my internal heartbreak house. <laughs> if I had not gone through that, yeah. I would not have had the moment in Russia, and I would not have had Top Girls. Right, sitting and in your discomfort. And then I would not have anything else. That's so great. And I love the way what Sasha said to you in Moscow seems to me anyway to have opened up a kind of mental and emotional corridor to all the work you do now that you yes, started off true. our chat talking yes. about. That sense of all yes. the hinterland that yes. you bring with you yeah. when you yeah. step on stage. Yeah. And also, like, how do you find the visceral? You know, you can look up pictures of desks and you can, you know, say right. Bobby Sherman is that. And you can look at a picture of, you know, the goddess Diana. Look at Paul Clay. But where's the visceral? Yeah. So what is it then that connects all of that yeah. makes these things important? Yeah. What is it that makes these symbols, the symbols in the play? 
what what is it that fuels that that connects them all? And I felt know, that very much recently that. doing this play. I'm doing Frontier Verhuna. Yeah. Declan Donnellan, you know, a great mm-hmm. British director who runs Cheap by Jowl, talks about what does somebody want? What do you really want? Connecting you to the visceral yeah. is absolutely great. He's, he has a great thing about what actually do you dread? Yeah. What does this person yeah. dread? Yeah. Oh. Because actually, weirdly, the dreads, and ah. certainly this has worked for me very much yes. playing this yep. appalling monster I'm playing at the moment. What he dreads is yes. so much more activating, yes. really, yes. than what he yes. wants. Yes. It's just a much more yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't know what Absolutely. dynamic yeah. force or something. But desire, desire, yeah. fear, yeah. need, yeah. you know, all of those, all of that stuff, which can be very amorphous. Yep. And you can get yourself in trouble with it if you, like, fall into the pit of that mm-hmm. and just, like, you know, wade around in those, like, big, huge things. Mm. But if they are channeled through things, like a prism, if they go through the prism of the play, you know, if you have a, a deep need like that that then shoots through the prism of the play yeah, yeah. and sort of surrounds the, the details of yeah. all of it, you know, it's really, and then you get out of its way. Yeah. And then it's really, you get on what, you know, when you, I love the moment when you do a play and you do a play and you do a play and then the play does you. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know, you work, you work, you work, you work. It, it, it lifts up off the page. Like a hovercraft. Yes. Yeah. And then you get on the conveyor belt and you just go. Yeah. It's it's exhilarating. It's blessed, and, blessed. And this moments. is the, this is this is where I wish everyone could have a theatrical <laughs> experience. I wish yeah. everyone on the planet yeah. could have what we are able to experience: the community of it, mm. the the dedication to the work, the challenge of it, the heartbreak of it. I wish, I wish everyone could have this. I really do. It feels like a perfect way to end though i have so many more things to ask you but we well, when will you get to season lives. 10 yeah sure then maybe i can should we back. do laura lenny redux or yeah, back again anytime laura, thank you so <laughs> it's much a pleasure. we didn't even ask about little foxes and you oh, trading please. off with cynthia nixon I i've just been I blabbing around the, uh, blabby, we'll do, blab blab no you haven't blah, been blah, extraordinary blah. thank you so my pleasure much thank you and thank you for everything you're doing thank you Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. she goes ladies and gentlemen there goes the great laura linney oh that was fabulous to talk to her she really is something else and is it fanciful to to think of that sort of blending of her two parents in in their incredibly different ways you know the turmoil and creative ferment 
of her dad, Romulus Linney, who was this celebrated but complicated playwright, and her mum, who was a cancer nurse at Sloan Kettering, this carer who must have had to be so tough, but also so tender in the deepest way. The combination of, you know, her discipline, her excavation of all that stuff in the hinterland of all the parts she plays, and the uniting of that real passion and love for the theatre with this real rigour. Well, anyway, you know, she's entirely her own person, of course, as we all are, but she's also the product of where she comes from. She's a peach. She's a Georgia peach. I think she is originally, her parents are originally from the South. I thank her so much. I just think she's the bee's knees, and she didn't have to give me that time and be so nice about the podcast. She's she's a fan of it, which is so sweet. It's great. My My guest next week is routinely described as the greatest classical actor in America, some might say America's greatest stage actor, and yet he didn't start acting until he was about 29. He was a salesman until then. He's the wonderful John Douglas Thompson, just a powerhouse on stage. And he and I talked about all sorts of things that I found so immensely compelling and revealing about his life, what compelled him to become an actor, and the journey he's taken since then, and what shapes all the parts that he plays. Please join me for that. He's he's really special and, and a fascinating person to talk to. Oh, it's good to be back. Stage Door Johnny is an off-script production. Thank you so much to Louise Berry for exec producing. Thank you to my brilliant producer, Ben Backhouse, for holding my hand all the way through it. Thank you to the musicians, Iggy Cake, for writing, composing, and playing. And thank you to Phoebe Cake for singing. Thank you to the stage manager for her splendid, firm, yet caring calls to the stage. And thank you to you for listening. I hope you can join me next week for the wonderful John Douglas Thompson. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. Not a line rhymes with Johnny. But here is stage door Johnny. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. He sits in the balcony. Sees plays sad and funny. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.